Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Hey, good morning again. It is the seventh of March, twenty twenty-three. It's hour two of mornings with. Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's time to rise and shine. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. It's great to be alive. Um, what do you value about the good gift of life today? Have you given God uh, the honor and glory due, due him today? Have you been in the word today? If so, where in the word are you today? And I encourage you to be in the word of God in order that the word of God might get down into you so that when the world squeezes you and it will, mm-hmm. It will. When you get squeezed, what comes out is, um, oh, I just thought of this, like the fruit juice of the spirit. Yeah. So, you know, you get juiced, right? Um, When you get squeezed, what comes out, I want it to be the grace and the truth of the gospel. I want it to be um, the character and the ways of God. I want it to be the goodness, the truth, and the beauty um, of who God is. Just let that pour out of you into the world that God so loves. Um, so the power of a shared word. I was uh, I was reading, um, you know, across a number of, of of websites in preparation for our conversations today. Um, I read lots and lots of different news sources, hoping to bring us a uh, you know uh, a good variety of a, a healthy mix of headlines. And I read this uh, in in the Baptist Press, uh, and it is Dateline, Chernev, Ukraine. As Russia declared war on Ukraine, Eugene, um, that's not right. That's not how you say that. E-U-N-E-G-E. Unige. I'm going with Unige. Unige and his wife, Yulia, rushed to buy a car uh, as a vehicle of escape. Uh, because their community of Cherniv was going to be ground zero for the onslaught. Billy Hoffman, um, who lives in Nashville, Tennessee, reached um, Unige on the phone. The two were conversation partners in a Ukraine-U.S. ESL program. It's a US, it's an ESL group um, d- among a bunch of Christians. So I just thought, now see. That's such a great idea. That is such a great idea. What a wonderful way to develop international friendships um, by simply getting into a conversation um, over the phone or over Zoom with somebody who lives internationally who wants to learn English. I mean, that seems kind of inspired, doesn't it? It made me think of um, some friends that I uh, that I had that use English um, as a way into, you know, conversations about the gospel. And so they use the Bible or Bible stories um, as their ESL material. So they're teaching English by using the Bible, because after all, it, you know, it's a book that's translated into 
many, many languages. And so you can use it to teach English. And so I, I just I just wanted to lift this up as, you know, wow, there's just all kinds of opportunities. I, I know there are sometimes folks who are like, I'm a shut in. I don't have any way of engaging in ministry. And we often talk about prayer and we talk about writing notes and we talk about being a person of encouragement. But here is something that you can do from anywhere, from anywhere. Um, and you could engage in a ministry where you're just helping other people internationally learn to speak English. And you could be using um, passages of the Bible to read together uh, because it's certainly translated into many, many languages. So there you go. That's just a thought, a good news opportunity for the day. Anna Mares is going to join us next. She is a student at Wheaton College. She is the author of um, a piece that appears at ChristianityToday.com. She is talking about her own generation. She's talking about revival. Um, She's talking about the movement of the Holy Spirit and what um, revival means among Gen Z. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is a kingdom. Anna Mars is joining us. She writes for the Wheaton Record, which is a school paper at Wheaton College. She also now has a piece in Christianity Today at ChristianityToday.com. For Gen Z, revival is not a bandwagon. Anna, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hello, Carmen. Thank you for having me this morning. Absolutely. All right. Tell us a little bit about you. You know, who are you? Where are you from? Who are your people? Okay. Um, I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I'm a freshman at Wheaton College. I, you were just talking about ESL programs, and I volunteer to teach ESL, which is really cool, and I think it's like super important, so it's awesome that you guys are elevating it on the show. Um, I write for the Wheaton Record, which is my, high, my college newspaper. I work as the features editor there. And I have two younger siblings, parents, grandparents, cousins, all here in Pittsburgh. All right. Uh, let's see. Majoring in international relations. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. What do you, who do you want to relate to internationally? Um, so I'm really interested in journalism that talks about international issues. So mm. thinking about like the global church and then also issues of like migration and refugees. And that's just something that's really in- like interesting to me my dad came as an immigrant from the Czech Republic so I've always kind of grown up with that international lens and it became something I wanted to study see that I I love knowing that about you because that's um that makes you more unique than you might imagine um and so it also (laughs) makes you unique that you're talking with us as a college freshman most of the people who are listening right now um, you know, they have college freshmen as children or grandchildren, um, even more likely. And so mm-hmm. we love um, having the opportunity to talk with you today. So would like for you to reflect on um, what you have heard from other students, not only about their experience at Asbury or other schools where you know, there's sort of been this like overflow of um, of revival events Um because I, I do think that not only what you've written, but I'm hoping that the further conversations you've had going to give us a little bit of an insight into 
what students are experiencing and um and maybe how we could tr- how we can trust maybe that's the best word i can come up with that it's that it's all genuine mm. yeah absolutely i think so i spoke to 10 different students for this story and then i've gone on to talk with different like professors and such at wheaton and i think one of the most interesting things that I've heard is people who went in skeptical and came out believing. And so I think that's a really beautiful shift that happened. Um, One would be a student from Wheaton. Her name's Esther Foster. And she's a freshman just like me. And uh, probably around like just a few days before our chaplain announced that students from Wheaton could take a bus down to Asbury she had decided to take a break from her classes and just spend the day in prayer and reading the Bible because she realized that her priorities just weren't in line with God. Like she came to a Christian school because she wanted her priorities to be straight and she realized they weren't. And so during that time, I forget her exact prayer, but she asked God to just do with her life what he willed. And so just a few Hours, days later, she found herself on a bus down to Asbury, which I think is just such a beautiful picture of how God will answer our kind of skeptical prayers and he'll do something we would never imagine. And so she talked about how at the revival, it wasn't at all what she expected and it was a lot more human and real. And, you know, it was slightly organized. There were some water bottles on the floor, but it really wasn't. And I think that is what Asbury students and Asbury leadership, like in quotes, have kind of emphasized is that there isn't one leader. There isn't some person who's pushing this and making this happen. It's really organic. And so when something is organic and human led, it's not going to be flawlessly executed. And so I think honestly for her, that was one of the biggest proofs that it was real was that you know, there's just people clustered around and people stepping up to serve an immediate need in their small section of the community in the church. But there wasn't this like person with, uh, you know, flyers handing them out, telling people, here's the plan. It was, it just happened and people were reacting to the, what the spirit was doing. For those of you who have said, hey, you know, I Googled the Asbury Revival. I wanted to watch it on YouTube. I wanted to watch the live stream. There wasn't one. We're going to ask Anna mm. Mars why when we come back. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We're talking with Anna Mars. She's a student at Wheaton College. She writes for the Wheaton Record, and we are um, visiting with her today about a piece she has posted at ChristianityToday.com. Gen Z, um, revival is not a bandwagon issue for um, for Generation Z. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. How are you preparing for the reality of Jesus's last days, his passion, Holy Week, the Last Supper, the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas's betrayal, Peter's denials, Jesus being stripped and humiliated by soldiers and falsely accused by the Jews and subjected to mock trials and ultimately crucified? How are you planning to give those events in Jesus's life the attention they deserve. That's what the season of Lent is all about. The 40 days prior to Easter are set aside to prepare ourselves to face the reality of the cross and, yes, ultimately to celebrate the reality of the empty tomb. I invite you to join us in reading through the Bible together during Lent. The study will provide a way for you to intentionally engage each day with the Word of God. 
You can sign up today at MyFaithRadio.com as we read through the Bible together this Lent. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one. Talking with Anna Mars from Wheaton College. Um, Anna, uh, a lot of folks have... I think been genuinely surprised that you know they couldn't they couldn't watch it on a live stream. Um, what do you what do you think um, is behind that, and why does that actually sort of help us trust the the authentic reality of this revival? Mm-hmm. I think so. There's a couple answers to that. The first is a lot of the students really rejected and pushed against that. And I know that for one specific student that I interviewed, she talked about hearing that Turning Point USA wanted to come and bring cameras and kind of to sort of produce what was happening and create some sort of like film or broadcasting. I'm not exactly sure. And the students told them like, no, this is just us worshiping God. Like we don't want to bring cameras into this place. Like this is a chapel. And for her, that's when a lot of her doubt went away because she realized that just because there was a lot of media around it and just because she was hearing a lot about it didn't mean that the initial community was doing it for that purpose. And so I think for the students, when you look back at the origins of the revival, I mean, it's this small school in Kentucky, this small town that a few students decided to stay after and worship. And it is kind of crazy that in this digital age of social media that it spread so quickly. Because when you look to past revivals, that simply wasn't the case. Maybe a revival would happen at a college campus and then two students would go out and tell other college students from another campus. And then that's how it spread by word of mouth after the fact. And so Asbury was really unique in that people could travel thousands, hundreds of miles and be at the revival at the time it was taking place. And so I think that's something that made Asbury really unique and what made it blow up so much was that people were able to visit during the revival. And because it wasn't broadcasted, you had to physically be there to experience it. And so I think that's what really made, I think it was around like 50,000 visitors, if not more, ended up coming. And that's because you had to physically be there to experience it. And so this idea that part of the movement that was taking place was being physically in the chapel at where like God decided to move in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think all of those observations are absolutely accurate. I mean, there's it's revival is something that ha- it's experiential. It happens. It happens in a place. It happens um, in a time. It happens in a context, and it it does not translate <laughs> over the internet. Yeah. I think that's a, mm-hmm. yeah. It's not digital. It's a it's a totally analog experience. It's a good observation. Mm-hmm. Can I um, ask you on a totally separate topic, because you fall into this, um, this cohort, this, you know, young women in America today, um, we have been reading about and talking about and seeking to understand what the CDC is telling us about this just mm. extraordinarily high percentage of young women in America today experiencing extreme loneliness and depression to the point of you know, seriously considering taking their own lives. Um, I'm yeah. sure that this is a conversation you're familiar with. And I guess I'm just wondering, mm-hmm. will you just reflect with us for a moment? Um, do you 
Do you see that? Do you hear that? Do you does that ring true to you in terms of the the percentages that they're talking about? Um, and is there something that you would like to say as a member of, uh, you know, this age group and cohort um, to the rest of us? <sighs> yeah, um, I think absolutely. From my own experience and the women I know my age, especially younger, those like statistics don't surprise me at all, which is really sad. Um, I think what surprises me is people shock by them because I feel like, I don't know, like if you're with young women and especially in my generation, like you can kind of see what's going on. And I think it's interesting that kind of like as a society, we've chosen to care now, which is interesting to me. And so I just wonder whether it's too late. Um, I think my, I can't exactly diagnose the problem. I think it's a lot of things. I think partially, obviously, technology and how it's shaped interactions with other people. I think my generation is a really achievement-heavy generation, especially, I mean, that's just the context that I've grown up in as well. But I feel like young women, especially with, we're seeing like being a large percentage of who ends up going to college and kind of slowly becoming a larger percentage than men going to college I think there is a very much like achievement heavy culture around being a young woman and so I think that has its alienating effects as well I think you know beauty standards food consumption I mean like it's everything and so I think the biggest thing that listeners can do is to be a mentor I think mentorship is really, really important. And I think it's one thing that on the local level can make a difference from my own experience. And also the inverse of that, like bad mentors can also have a really, really big impact as well. So I think whether that's in the church community, being like a big sister to someone in kind of a mentorship program or anything like that, and investing in an individual is probably the best way for a time in which issues are just so interconnected and it's hard to see what the root cause is. Okay. So now I just want to role play for just a second. Cause I think you are absolutely right. I think that, um, you know, mentorship one, one-on-one, you know, sort of the big sister, the, the, the Christian who's a little further down the road, um, you know, mm-hmm. then, then her little sister just saying, Hey, can I, can I walk with you this stretch of road? Um, what does that look like? What does it look like for, um, what is it, or maybe what does it sound like? Like, <laughs> does it seem weird? Would it seem weird for, I mean, I know you, you and I don't inhabit the same physical space, but let's imagine that mm-hmm. we did, you know, would it be weird for me to say, Hey, Anna, you know, I, I know a little bit about journalism. I, um, I do have some international relationships. I know that's a passion point for you. Um, maybe we could just walk this stretch of life together and I could share some of the things that, um, that I've learned along the way and, um, maybe support you as you grow into this. Like, does, does that sound like a way to approach a person for, you know, you see what I'm saying? Like, we all think it's weird that anybody wants anything from us. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think it's weird at all. And maybe that's just me. But I think for me and a lot of my friends, specifically, like, in college, I'm part of a mentorship program, and she's a senior. And that's mm. very much like, 
we were matched together and she and I have the same major and she'll send me like internship advice, but also like we'll cry together and she'll go get coffee with me and get a meal and we'll do fun things too. And I think just having context is really important, especially for people who are having like mental health crises and they're very much in their age age bracket and they're in their current stage of life. Maybe they're senior in high school and it's really stressful right now. And so having a mentor who's done that before and who's maybe a decade plus out of that experience, I think is really, really important. And so I think girls who are feeling that loneliness, who are feeling that anxiety will be really, really, I think, like um, grateful for someone to come out and say, hey, I have some of the answers. I don't have all of them, but I do have some. And I think people are really hungry to hear that. So I don't think it's weird at all. And I think especially for girls right now who are just so lost, any sort of voice that seems to have guidance for them will be really, really welcome. So absolutely. Yeah, I think go for it. Hey, will you come back and talk with us again? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, that's Anna Mars. You can find what uh, what she's writing at thewheatonrecord.com. You can also find the piece we discussed today at christianity.com. For Gen Z, revival is not a bandwagon. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right, a lot going on uh, out there today. Thank you for all your interaction on the text line. You can always text me during the show, 877-933-2484. Shame uh, is a big part of what many, many people deal with in the culture today, particularly women. So um, what is the shame that somebody's trying to cast over you in these days? Um and what does it look like for us to um, move beyond that? How does the gospel put an end to the story of shame? The book is Never Cast Out. Jasmine Holmes is the author, and my conversation with Jasmine is up next. He put that hunger in your heart. He put that fire in your soul. His love is the reason. What a delight to have Jasmine Holmes back with us today. We've talked with her on a prior occasion about her book, Mother to Son, Letters to a Black Boy on Identity and Hope. She's joining us today um, with her latest book, Never Cast Out, How the Gospel Puts an End to the Story of Shame. Jasmine, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having me again. So um, I'm so, so, so tempted to um, just simply start with I, how I would start if you and I were sitting down over a cup of coffee, like in real life, and just say, as a mom of a Black son, um, you know, how are you feeling in the culture today? Um, and just to say, I'm, I'm, I'm living with an awareness. Yeah, yeah. It's... Um... It's been really overwhelming lately, for sure. Mm -hmm. 
So um, first of all, thank you for being honest and transparent and helping others of us who do not, I, I know I don't live in your skin. I don't, I don't share that experience. Um, but I want to be a good sister in Christ. And so thank you for the ways that you help me understand all of that um, by giving me a window into, um, into what your life is like. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much for listening. Um, let's talk about shame. I mean, you know, here's a, here's a, here's a fun, uh, fuzzy topic, right? <clears throat> shame. Um, but there's so much shame in our culture. There's so much shame in our lives. It, it is something that we don't often talk about. So get us started in this conversation. Why is it important to have this conversation? Um, and where would you like to start? Yeah. I mean, shame is such a nebulous kind of emotion. It's it's a feeling that we all have that we're all familiar with, but I don't think a lot of us really name it in the moment. And so just even the process of naming that sinking feeling of humiliation that we have when we have done something wrong or done something that we feel is embarrassing or that we've done something that we feel kind of puts eyes on us. Um, it's it's such a vulnerable thing. Um, and so in writing this book, even like pegging down that vulnerable feeling and investigating it, I just wanted to see what the gospel had to say about it and how we could manage it and move forward um, as people who have been bought with the blood of Christ, who has, of course, taken care of all of the shame, um, but who also just aren't in heaven yet. And so still have to kind of grapple with it on earth. So in preparation for this conversation, um, I tried to give a little thought to like, where are all the places that I experience this in my own life? And um, body shaming certainly makes the list. When I was single um, and, you know, trying to operate in, uh, you know, in, in the context of an evangelical church where everyone's expected to be married, um, you know, like they're single shaming and or marriage shaming. I don't know which one. Um, as a person who, you know, I've never had my own kids, I definitely experience mom shaming. I also wow. experience stepmom shaming. <laughs> that's a whole new, that's a whole different thing. I have experienced um, like educational shaming. Like you have a kid in public school. What? You have a kid in private school. What? Yeah. You, you homeschool. You don't homeschool. Like I'm just like, and then the whole like political shaming, religious shaming, you're what kind of Baptist or what kind of Presbyterian or you're a Baptist or you're a Presbyterian. I mean, I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, so shame is a huge part of how we operate, but we don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. And in all of those areas that you talked about, I mean, like, especially especially for women, you know, this book isn't specifically like only for women, but women uniquely experience the emotion of shame. I think like Brene Brown has done so much research about how women um, have kind of this unique aspect of our culture where we constantly feel shame for doing um, anything, whether it's like staying single, getting married, or um, for me, you know, working outside the home or like staying at home, homeschooling or sending our kids to school or, you know, all of the above, <laughs> everything you said. And it just kind oh, of vaxing or not vaxing. You and I oh, could make a list. We could totally yes. make a list. It, yeah. Yes, we absolutely <laughs> could. We absolutely could. And it's not even to say, you know, it, not even that all of those things that we mentioned are morally neutral, not even that there isn't like a right choice or a wrong choice for your family or for somebody else's family, but the shame just kind of like can paralyze and isolate. And and that's kind of the thing that we're wanting to, that I, that I really wanted people to um, have the gospel speak into in this book. 
Yeah, and you do it in such a great way. So let's explore the story of the birth of shame because you take us to the garden and then the death of shame because you take us to the cross. So when I was first thinking about writing um, this book, I was talking to a friend of mine and she mentioned um, that in her ministry called Pericaleo, they talk about fig leaves. And I was like, fig leaves? She's like, yeah, like Adam and Eve, they're fig leaves. It's the things that we try to use to cover up shame. And fig leaves are not a great way to cover up the shame because one stiff breeze and they get blown away. And (laughs) her conversation, like our conversation together just really shaped so much of the book, thinking about the birth of shame in the garden, like that very first feeling of wanting to hide after they had sinned, right? Adam and Eve had walked with God. They'd walked with him in the cool of the day. They had only known him. They'd only known love from him. But as soon as they did something wrong, instead of calling out to him and running to him, they ran away and they hid. And their hiding place wasn't great because God is omnipotent. He knew exactly where they were. Um, And so when God found them, he kind of gives a, well, not even kind of, he gives a, um, an illustration of how shame is eventually going to be taken care of. He sacrifices, he takes an animal, he kills it, he takes the skin and he gives it to his children and covers them up in clothes that a stiff breeze is not going to blow away and tells them in Genesis 3.15 that the end of their shame is coming, that Jesus is coming, that he is going to take care of their shame and their sin. And there's there's an end of shame that happens at the cross when Jesus does come, when he takes on all of our sin and shame. The Bible tells us that he carries our shame. Um, but then just like with all of the evil in the world, there is a final death knell that will come when Jesus returns again and takes care of everything and wraps it all up in a nice and pretty bow. Mm. Um, we're going to continue our conversation with Jasmine Holmes in just a moment. The book is Never Cast Out, How the Gospel Puts an End to the story of shame. Are you experiencing um, shame of one variety or another? Are you wondering like, all right, I get it. I mean, I get the beginning of the story of shame and I get its death um, at the cross of Jesus, but man, I am wrestling with it every single day. We're going to have Jasmine equip us to wrestle with the reality of maybe it's like the shadow of shame that still exists until Jesus returns. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. I am a mountain over water walker, more than just an overcomer, because I've been set free. Continuing our conversation now with Jasmine Holmes, we're talking about Never Cast Out, how the gospel puts an end to the story of shame. All right, Jasmine, um, the story of shame begins in the Garden of Eden. We recognize that, you know, it, it died at the cross, but we still like it, we still live with the shadow of shame and it casts darkness over so much. Like help, help us wrestle with it in real time. So when I had um, turned in my book, I literally like sent off a copy of the book that day. 
um, was all done. And my husband and I were out running errands, dropping the boys off, doing some stuff, came back home and the house was a mess. My husband looked at me and he said, um, ah, this house is a mess. Like we got to do better. And he literally said, we have to do better. And I heard this house is a mess. You're a bad wife. And I expect you to clean up after me. And so I immediately turned around and looked at him and was just like ready to just all out argue, (laughs) take it to the river, drop it in the water, like just let's go. And so we get back in the car and like, I just kind of have, I have an attitude he can tell and, but he doesn't say anything. We drive where we're going. And before he gets out of the car, I kind of like reach over and I'm like, I feel like my anger at you was a response to the shame that I felt when you said what you said. And he just looks at me and he's like, wow okay, like we're getting somewhere because we've had this conversation so many times where in my life, I I have a temper, I have a quick temper. And so when shame comes at me, my response is usually anger. And it's usually like, how can I, it's indignation. It's like, how dare you? And so we had a conversation where I was like, I this is how I feel. I feel like the house is my responsibility. I feel like I'm the wife. I'm supposed to keep it clean. I'm supposed to keep it tidy. And my husband was able to speak into that and be like, we both live in the house. We're both adults who live in the house. We've both been really busy. We both need to figure out how to how to make our house work for us. And we do that together. It's not just your responsibility. But that could not have that conversation could not have happened and could not have gone as smoothly if I wasn't able to identify the shame that immediately cropped up in my response. Now, my husband wasn't trying to shame me at all. Like he was just being a man and making a, like making a statement. Um, But sometimes people are trying to shame in the things that they say, you know, somebody could come over and be like, wow. Hmm. So you're a working mom. I can tell, I can tell by the dust on the floorboard, you know, somebody could (laughs) give me an invitation, right. To feel shame. But something that I've also learned is just because somebody invites you to feel shame doesn't mean that you have to RSVP. Like you can, you can say, no, you can let them, Mm. you can opt out. You can opt out of the shame spiral. You can opt out of even going there. It can just be a simple, um, and right. The steps are simple, even though it doesn't feel simple, even though it's an ongoing process. Um, it can be as simple as saying, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to take this to God and I'm going to see what his word says. I'm going to see what the truth of his word says. And I'm just going to sit with him and let him sit with me in this kind of invite him into the feeling and just really trust that he is going to reveal what needs to be revealed in your life. You know, whether it be, maybe I do need to grow in X, Y, Z area, or maybe I just need to let stuff roll off my back. Um, the wonderful thing is that we have the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom for each individual um, case that comes up. Um, So one of the things you've reminded me of there, Jasmine, first of all, I think I am more often your husband in that conversation. And just when you described that interaction, like I was just so convicted about a text I recently sent to somebody. And I actually said in relationship to something we need to do better And Mm -hmm. I feel fairly certain since she hasn't replied, I feel fairly certain she received that as a condemnation of her. And so Mm -hmm. I'm now going to be responsible to circle back around and and certainly communicate my intent, even though I can't I can't heal what I'm sure is now broken. Like, right. But I can I can at least say that was not my intent. And um, and I will. Um, and I will personally commit to doing better on that front. Talk to those of us who um, do wield shame as a weapon, and sometimes we know it. 
Can you talk to the shamers? Absolutely. Um, it's so often pride. It's it's a mm-hmm. we don't want to be vulnerable. We mm-hmm. want to we we want to have a shield, and shame becomes that shield, and shaming others becomes that shield. You know, instead of saying like. I think really often, especially with me, when I have a feeling of going up to another woman and wanting to shame her for a choice that she's making, sometimes I'm jealous because she seems free in an area that I'm not free. And Mm. so, you know, simple as like, oh, you homeschool your kids? Oh, wow. I'm going to judge you for that because maybe I would like to homeschool my kids, but it seems really hard. And you think you're better than me because you're doing what would be hard for me or walking into somebody's house. For me, it's the opposite, right? Again, like dust on my floorboard. So walking into somebody else's house and being like, oh, wow, it's so clean. I guess you don't have time to do anything else because you're just home cleaning all day. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like just, just that trying to demean others because you feel an insecurity because you feel like, you know, you can't be vulnerable and you can't say, hey, I, I like, I feel intimidated. I feel intimidated by the situation for whatever reason. And I need to take that to Jesus. We use shame as, um, as the shield instead of running to God. And really that's just, that is the crux. That's what we come back to. It's like in Sunday school when the answer is always Jesus, um, <laughs> coming back over and over again to just sitting with him, with our emotions and really letting him show us where our emotions have um, really led us astray, led us away from him and led us out of community with people that we should be moving towards in love. Um, But we're like putting up shame as a shield against that love and connection. Jasmine offers um, a lot of practical and powerful ways to fight shame in our daily lives. Um, One of the things I really appreciate, Jasmine, that you talk about is um, the the better covering, the better image, the better message. Um, and again, that's sort of the Jesus, uh, you know, every answer in Sunday school is Jesus. Well, actually, every answer in relationship to this is Jesus. Can you can you highlight that again for us? Yes. Um, just when we think about Christ and what he endured on our behalf, um, sometimes we just think about the sins that have been committed, right? We think about um, the bad things that we have done that that nailed him to the cross as a hymn, like it was my sin that held him there. Um, we think about that. What we don't think about as often sometimes is the fact that, like Romans says, creation is constantly groaning for the return of Jesus. And so sometimes that groaning doesn't have much to do with what we individually do and the choices that we've individually made. Sometimes it's just the result of living in a fallen body and living in a fallen world. And part of living in a fallen world is that shame is our constant companion. Again, I'm not talking about the times that we've done something wrong and we need to repent, but those feelings of insecurity, those feelings of inadequacy, those feelings of just not being enough. Um, And that is like, we are part of the creation that's really groaning for relationship with Jesus and really groaning for him to come back and make things right. Because this world is not a perfect place um, until he returns. It is a place where we experience loneliness. It is a place where we experience loss. It is a place where we experience emptiness. And apart from him, um, those feelings just kind of multiply and fester. And turning towards him is an amazing way to continue to see glimpses of the eternity that he offers us, which is free of shame and every other bad feeling and every other infirmity that we have. Um, And so he is constantly, constantly offering himself to us and offering peace to us. Um, 
because so often that's the opposite of shame, right? That's the opposite of that really loud voice that tells us that we're not good enough, that we'll never amount, that we're too weak, that we're too frail. It's peace. It's silence. It's um, just abiding in Jesus. Hmm. That's so good. That's so good. Um, Jasmine Holmes, you can find her at jasminelholmes.com. The book is the most recent book, Never Cast Out, How the Gospel Puts an End to the Story of Shame. If you're saying to yourself, um, you know what, I um, I need some help with this. Um, we recognize that the story of shame is a powerful one, but Jasmine's going to help you experience that even stronger than shame are the arms of the one um, who carried your shame, and he will never cast you out. Jasmine, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you for having me again. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Sometimes on a given day, actually, I don't know about you, but pretty regularly, every given day, um, if people are actually honest about what they hear and how they process what they hear, like uh, sometimes feelings get stepped on and um, sometimes we have to, you know, go circle back around and do some cleanup. So um, during my conversation with Tim Marr, uh, at least one person, because they have communicated with me on the text line, um, heard uh, very contra- they they heard what they heard because I didn't experience this, and so I'm going to couch it in the terms that are being expressed on the text line. Um, they heard a condemnation of cows and cattle and beef. Let me just um, assure you that if you actually go to Mediterranean Harvest and um, look at their food trapezoid. Beef is number one on the list in terms of um, the meat recommended for consumption. Like, right, so so poultry comes next, but beef leads the list and fish is third. Um, grains follow that and then fruits, legumes, nuts, olive oil, seeds, and vegetables. Um, so, there's also, you know, a lot of advocacy about exercise and integrating spirituality and serving others for joy and um, on and on and on. So when we talk about our approach to the stewardship of the body, maybe that's how I should have framed the conversation with Tim. We're talking about the stewardship of the body and we're talking about um, our stewardship of all that God has placed um, under our stewardship. And yes, that is a cattle on a thousand hills and all the other cattle as well, as one of my kids likes to say. Um, but it's also, you know, in terms of the first order of things that God gave us to eat, it's all the fruits and veggies. It's all the things that grow from the earth. It's the Daniel approach to eating, um, which some people call the Daniel fast. It's the way Jesus ate. Um, and so, you know, I, so I don't want to... Uh, it was not my intent to in any way, shape or form degradate cattle or cattle farmers. I mean, you guys know me. We raise our own beef. I, I, I love it. I am. Uh, yeah, I got I got more meat. I got more beef recipes than any other recipes. So um, 
This is about the stewardship of the body and the stewardship of the resources over which God has placed us as his managers and stewards. And so I just encourage you to, um, you know, consider the way you eat, consider what you eat, consider the impact it has on others, consider um, changing the way you eat in a way that would mean that somebody else can eat today. That, That was a little bit of what I was going for. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.